Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. Let's welcome up Eric Gilmore. Thank you, sir. Praise God. Well, I am super excited to talk to you just for a little bit this morning. And when I say that, I actually mean I'm super excited. (laughs) I was just praying this morning and thinking about being with you guys and the things that God wanted to talk about today. And I could have jumped through the ceiling. That's how excited my, my tummy felt on the inside. So let's just, uh, we'll pray and then we'll get going. But bef- before I do pray, I just want to say your pastor is not only, and you know this, not only gifted and not only anointed, not only godly, but man, he is super cool. <laughs> he spent the day with us uh, yesterday and it's just wonderful just being with him so relaxed, so just a real authentic person and just flowing with prophecy in the middle of eating a baklava, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then Joel and I have become uh, good friends. I really feel like the Lord has connected us and I'm hoping that we can roll uh, deeper together uh, for some time. But father, thank you for such a great people here. People with smiling hearts and happy eyes. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to dwell here with them. Praise you. Lord, I just ask today that you would cause your words to sink deep into the heart, that praise and joyful adoration would be released up unto you today in a brand new way in your precious name. Lord, encourage them in what they already are by a revelation of who you are in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You know, Charles Spurgeon wrote this statement one time. He said, a sermon without Christ at its beginning, middle, and end is a mistaken conception and a crime in execution. (laughs) I love that. And, And he further goes on and he says this. He says, if you leave Christ out, you've left the sun out of the day, the moon out of the night. You've left the waters out of the sea, the floods out of the river. You've left the harvest out of the year, the soul out of the body. You've left joy out of heaven. You've robbed all of its all. There is no gospel worth thinking of, much less worth proclaiming. If Jesus be forgotten, he must be the alpha and the omega. Praise God. (laughs) So you say, Eric, what do you want to talk to us about today? I want to talk to you about Jesus. I want to go straight to the pinnacle above. I don't want to stop short of Christ. Let's go right to the top. Let's go to the highest place there is. Jesus Christ, the most supernatural being there will ever be. Jesus Christ, the one and only revelation of the face of God. Let's talk about him. What do you say? So uh, in Genesis chapter 28, this church is called Bethel. The, the, you know, the network is called Bethel. And I was seeing this today in Genesis chapter 28. The scripture says, you guys, have, you guys know this very well. I'm sure pastors preach on this a bunch. <laughs> but Jacob comes to this certain place. Remember this? Watch this. It says that uh, when the sun had set, he took one of the stones, one of the rocks. He takes one of the rocks and he places it under his head. And he lays down in that place and he had a dream 
And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending. And behold, the Lord stood above it all. Okay, a couple of things here I felt to really speak to you guys today. He lays his head on a rock. David calls God the rock of ages. And if you will lay your head, place your mind, meditate upon the rock, your eyes will begin to open and see the activity of heaven. Not just angels ascending and descending. Praise God for angels. We like them. But there's somebody who stands above it all. And it is the Lord himself. Praise God. So you say, Eric, what are you saying? I want to encourage you, Bethel Church, to be a Jacob-like people who apply their minds to the rock of the ages so that your eyes will see Christ above everything else. It's when we don't apply our minds to Christ, we start seeing other things. And those other things, though they may be good things, they're not the best thing. And that best thing is Christ. Praise God. You know, I once was laying with my daughter in, in the grass, looking up at the stars at night. And she says to me, she was young at that time. She's 18 now. She says, daddy, there's so many stars in the sky. And I said, yeah, yeah, baby, there are. And then she goes, where do they go in the daytime? I said, oh, baby, they're always there. It's just that the sun is so high and so bright that you can no longer see them. And when I said this to her, I figured that that is a perfect illustration of lifting Christ to the heights. He extinguishes all lesser lights. But if you take Christ out of the heights, you start seeing all kinds of other lights. People start getting distracted and deviated gazes because Christ was brought too low. So what I want to talk to you today about is Jesus Christ. Praise God. Jonathan Edwards wrote this amazing quote. He said, the beauty of Christ bows the will and draws the heart. I think those two things are the perfect way to describe what seeing Christ as he is does to you. It causes you to say, I gladly bow my knee. It makes you say in your heart, oh, how my heart loves you. You begin to fall in love with the Lord and bow low before the Lord when you actually see the Lord. I told yesterday to the, the group that I was speaking to that Michael Reeves wrote a great quote, boredom is blindness. When you get bored with God, it's because you've become blind to who he is. So we're going to talk about what he is, praise God, what he's like, and what he has done. Three things that I try to personally keep before my eyes all the time because it causes me to keep the beauty of the Lord in front of me at all times. You know, um, I'm going to say so many scriptures to give references would be just uh, too much time. So I'm going to just kind of rattle them off, okay? So speaking of what he is, we see that the right side of God brings a man low in worship. It lifts him high in praise. It bends his knee in prayer. It opens his hand in trust. It grins his face with joy-filled satisfaction. It lays him in peaceful sleep. It brightens his eyes with gratitude. It melts his heart with love. It dashes his heart with conviction. It shudders his knees with fear. It humbles him to the dust. It makes obedience a delight, sorrow passing, and persecution beautiful to see him rightly. When we look at Christ, we begin to see things that he has revealed about himself to us. Did you know that this book can be realized as God's self-disclosure? He has said, these are the things I want you to know 
about me. These are the things I want you to see about me. And grabbing a bunch of these, I'm going to say them, and I want you to let these words that are revealed right here from God himself, breathed out by God, to go into your mind and cause faith to rise on the inside. So the scriptures show us this. <laughs> it, sh it shows us that he is great and that he, his name is great, that he is incomparable. You can't compare him to anybody else. It shows us that he calculates the dust of the earth. Think about that. There's dust on top of my shelf where my books go. There's so much dust there. I could never even count that dust, let alone all the dust that exists in the entire world. He weighs it out. He knows exactly how much dust is in the world. That's insane to me. Also, he weighs the mountains. I mean, I weigh my coffee. He weighs the mountains. <laughs> Goodness gracious. He spreads out the heavens all by himself. The Bible says he sits in a circle above the heavens. The scripture says he blows upon men and they wither into nothing. It says that he clears the heavens by an exhale. What in the world are we talking about here when we talk about God? He made the stars, those heavenly flames. He counts their numbers and he knows their names. Oh, and by his power, none of them go missing. He never gets tired. He puts a king up and then he puts another one down. He's in perfect control. Praise God. We look at who he shows himself to be and he says, the nations to me are meaningless. They're like a drop in the bucket. He humbles himself, the Bible says, to even look upon the heavens. Let's think about this for a second. It is an act of humility on God's part to even give attention to what's going on in the heavens. The scripture says he humbles himself, not just to look at the heavens, but then to look at the earth, <laughs> to see us. But then it goes even further and he humbles himself, not just to look at the heavens and down at the earth, but then down to the lowly. <laughs> My goodness, what kind of a God is this that he would give attention to worms like us compared to who he is? Praise God. So we see these things that he's shown us. He made the earth by his own power. He established the world by his own wisdom. He stretched out the heavens by his own understanding. He speaks and there's a tumult in the heavens. He makes lightning for the rain. He puts the wind in storehouses. He tells the snow, fall to the earth. These are all scriptures. He tells the old, fall now. The snow, fall now to the earth. That just blows my mind. The Bible says he hangs the earth on nothing, he surrounds himself with lightning and the sound of it declares his presence. Next time you hear thunder, say the Lord is reminding me he is here. He does all of these things the scripture shows us. The mountains melt like wax at his presence. He rebukes the sea and it becomes dry. Have you ever seen the ocean? <laughs> he can breathe out and that thing, all the water's gone. Praise God. When, when he split the sea for the children of Israel, it says they walked on dry land. That's insane. Who is this that we're talking about? Yes, I said he flung the stars, those heavenly flames. He counts their numbers. He knows their names. He gives flight to the eagle and he tightens the clam. He puts your tears in a bottle. He writes your name on his hand. Praise God. This causes love on the inside of the heart. It causes you to begin to say, wow, this personally involved creator of all things. He says to us that he fills the heavens and the earth. None can deliver out of his hand. His purposes cannot be thwarted. Dear God, that's incredible. The scripture says no one can reverse the things that he does. Isaiah's last prophecy, he says this, everyone will come and bow down before me. 
He's declaring he will be exalted and the last one standing on that great day. He calls himself the first and the last. He goes on a rant in Isaiah. If you've ever read the book of Isaiah, I tell you to, to grab a hold of it. Let it just pierce your heart. He goes on this rant in Isaiah talking about himself. And he says, who is like me? Who can recount to me or describe to me the beginning of all things? Can he tell me the things that are coming, the events before they have not yet taken place? Who is there who thinks that they're my equal? Is there a God besides me? Is there any rock or solid, solid foundation beyond me? I know of none, God says. You say, what are you trying to do, Eric? I'm trying to tell you that in Isaiah chapter 45, he says nine times, there is no one that you can compare to me. My goodness, he's in a category all by himself. <laughs> My God, well, sometimes we just got to remember who this is that we're talking about when we say God Almighty. The Bible tells us who can counsel him. To whom can you liken him? You cannot find his equal. This creates worship in the heart. To think upon the things God has told you about himself and to believe them causes your knees to begin to shake and you say, oh, I I'm terrified of you, but I love you so much. I'm overcome by the greatness and glory of your name. He, he says to us, he says, how can the, the clay say to the potter for me like this? What right does the clay have to even say to the potter for me like this? Then Paul grabs a hold as a Jew. He grabs a hold of this understanding of God. And he, he says, look at all these wonderful things about him. And then he tells us what kind of response it should have in our life. This can be found in Romans chapter 12. You've all read this, this verse when it says, we present our bodies. Remember this? A living sacrifice. That's 12 too. The very last verse of 11. Remember, there's no chapter breaks. This is a continuous thought. Watch this. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord? <laughs> that he can counsel him who has given a gift unto, unto him that it can be repaid to him for from him through him and to him are all things to him be all the glory. I make an appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. You say, Eric, what are, you, what are you trying to say about that? Paul is saying, when you see how great God actually is, the only natural, logical response is to throw your whole body down in front of him and say, I'm yours, Lord. A revelation of what he is will show us that he's unmatched. He's unparalleled. There's nothing too difficult for him. He makes rough places smooth. He shatters doors of bronze. He cuts through iron bars. I mean, if we could just... Believe one of these four statements about God in the Bible. This would change our lives. One, all things are his servants. Two, he sits in the heavens and does whatever he pleases. Three, he works all things after the counsel of his own will. Praise God. And four, his sovereignty rules over all. Praise God. Charles Spurgeon said, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the Christian lays his head. You can rest in full trust in God. Praise God. Oh, to believe these things will cause us to realize a few things. One of them is this, that worry is the seed of atheism. To believe these things and let them rattle your bones will bring you to this conclusion. Fear is an assault on God's character. To believe these things, you begin to really see that works are an insult to the gospel. When you believe these things and it rattles the inside of you, you begin to say disobedience is pure insanity because of who he is, because of what he is. Praise God. This is 
the revelation that I felt to really start everything off with, to remember who he is, to recognize what he is. In every single difficulty, we put our eyes on him and we see that he, oh my goodness, he believed it brings a man into complete and total rest and trust. The second thing I want to talk to you about is this, what he's like. First, we talked about what he is. Did I convince you according to the scriptures that he's awesome? Okay. Two, let's talk about what this awesome person is actually like, because it's one thing if he's just awesome, that's really cool that he's awesome and you, and you want to bow down and worship him and you want to obey him because he's awesome. But that awesome person may have a bad character, but this awesome person does not have a bad character. Let's look at the character of this awesome being. Praise God. The scripture shows us in Exodus 34 that Moses wants God to show him what he's like. Show me your glory. In other words, I want to see what you're like. And God says to him that he's, he can't show him the fullness of his glory, obviously, because it's reserved for something, specifically somebody, somebody. His glory is revealed for somebody, <laughs> which is coming. A body you have prepared for me. That's revealing the glory later. But when he says to him, I w- I'm going to, I'll tell you what I'm like. He says, I'll show you my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to show you my goodness and I'm going to tell you what I'm like and I'll tell you my name. So when Moses wants to know what God is like, God shows him his character, his nature. This is what the glory of God is. His great name, his great character, his great nature, his great goodness. And the Bible shows us this, that he is gracious and compassionate. My goodness, this word compassion, it touches my heart. Every time I say it, it moves me. One of my friends said it to me the other day. He's omni-compassionate. What a wonderful way to say that. He's always everywhere compassionate. And you say compassion. What does it mean? Compassion means to be attracted to weaknesses. God, that awesome being, is attracted to the weak, to the lowly, to the poor, to the broken. It moves him. He's drawn to those who realize their helplessness, realize their poverty, and realize their need. It moves his heart. One of my friends likes to say it like this. The things about you that make you cringe most make him hug tightest. (laughs) There's something about this nature of his compassion. He bends his knee to feed thee. And in bleeding, he frees thee. And in needing, he keeps thee. Oh my goodness. There's, this character is unmatched. This great being that we just talked about hanging the earth on nothing, he is full of compassion. And he loves the lowly and the weak and the broken. And those areas of your life that you think he holds his nose to come close to you about, he's actually drawn to you. Because by virtue of the fact that he is Savior, your weaknesses attract him to you. He longs by nature to save you. Over and over again. I want God to save me every single day. So the Bible tells us this, that he loves you with an everlasting love. He longs to shine his face upon your life. He puts joy in your heart more than the time when their corn and their wine increased. He longs to sing over you love songs. He surrounds you with favor like a shield. He covers you with his pinions. He giddies your soul underneath the shadow of his wings. He satisfies your life with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. This is the kind of person this awesome God is. This should start winning the heart. We should start saying, wow, he is not only amazing, but he is stunning in character. 
This is what the excellencies of the Lord are. He's so, he stuns you with how good he is. Listen, if you just think on your life for a little bit, you'll see that his patience is embarrassing. So the scripture shows us uh, if we forget none of his benefits, he pardons all our iniquities. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us with loving kindness. He's slow to anger and he's rich in love. He doesn't deal with us as our sins deserve. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. And as a father has compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He remembers that we're dust and his loving kindness is everlasting and he keeps his covenant from age to age age to age. He is good. He is good. He is good. And he can be trusted. Praise God. So bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Let's see who he is and let that be the creation of worship on the inside. Now, lastly, we've talked about how awesome he is. The scriptures have convinced us he is incredibly awesome beyond finding out. The Bible says his wisdom is inscrutable. You can't even begin to start dissecting how he knows what he knows or how much he knows. His greatness is unsearchable. You can't even begin the search to find out how great he is. We're only scratching the surface of this all-pervading consciousness that is personally involved in every little thing. The scripture says that he, he guides the bear with her cubs. He tells the lion to wait in the thicket. He tells the ostrich where to lay her egg. What in the world is this? This being who is so intimately involved, he's outside of time so much so that he can give you all his attention as if you're the only thing he ever created. This is incredible. And that being is kind and gracious. And he bends low to, to meet you right where you are. But then we see not only his greatness and not only his compassion, but then we see it all manifested perfectly right here. He manifests his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his gentleness, his compassion by dropping out of heaven by the weight of love into the restrictions and frailties of a human body. He tells Moses, I can't show you my glory. I can't show you my face. It's because it's reserved for this person who would come, Jesus Christ, the perfect manifestation of this awesome being who is so gracious and compassionate, revealing the Father so completely that you can say, Jesus Christ is the God of Israel manifested in the flesh. He's the face of God. Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You look at Jesus Christ and you have the perfect manifestation, the only true revelation of what God's greatness and compassion look like. The apostle John tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Praise God. There's a, there's something that happens in the soul when we begin to realize what he has done. The scripture says in Galatians chapter one, that he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us. Do you hear all those words put together? That's gospel. He himself, a person, gave, gifted himself, not an angel, not a friend of his, not a, a good things that he has. He gave himself for our sins, stuff we did. He gave himself for our sins so that he might deliver us. This is incredible. This is this is literally astounding to think that that awesome being that we just talked about who is so compassionate, manifests his compassion like this. The scripture says, and this will be my, my final scripture, in 2 Corinthians 5, 
This moves me every time I read it. It makes me want to just scream out loud to believe it. The scripture says this. It says, God was in Christ. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Look at this. Therefore, we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Praise God. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Every, every romantic movie that you have ever seen pales in comparison to this person. This romance. You may have your eyes on a guy right now and you think, oh man, I really hope stuff works out. And he's taking the center stage of your life. Let me tell you something. He didn't bleed for you. You may have your eyes on some pursuit right now, some career, and it's got all your attention. It's like the center of your life. I'm telling you this, that career didn't pursue you out of heaven into earth, down into the grave, back up again to pull you back up into heaven. It did not. Whatever idol you can find in your life, no matter how shiny it is, it's not resplendent with glory in the heavens where angels bow down before him. Everything pales in comparison to him. So finally, it looks like this. This great God who hangs the earth on nothing has so much of a heart of compassion that he would manifest himself in the flesh with a twisted crown of thorns, too small in size, pressed into his brow, and blood flowed in his eyes, blinding him to all but the prize. This is humility personified. The blood of God not realized. And though men love things that are deified, not a God who's crucified, but that's my God. He comes, he dies. Oh, precious blood of him who loved me so. His hands are nailed and his head hangs low. His body is broken. His back is slashed open. The splintering cross is soaked in blood. Oh, what love and a love of me. And I see his glory when his feet are upon the sea, but never such glory as when they're fastened to the tree. The breath of life he breathes out his ghost with a dismayed angelic host with a naked God upon the post. He's mostly red. Come down, they said. Man's faith is dead, but God bled. God bled. God bled for sin to bring Adam back in. Praise God. Say, Eric, what is your, what's your point? What's your point? Well, I, I see the God man. I see in my mind, I see the God man hanging there with his bloody matted hair. Sinners passing without a care. The Pharisees in satisfaction stare naked. He drips blood there. He's shivering in his palms tear. He's suffocating between the pair. And I'm increasingly aware of the fairest love beyond compare. You say, Eric, what is it that you're trying to say? Look at Jesus and see in him the perfection of God. See in him the love, the manifestation of so great love that he would lay down his life for you. Eric, what's the point? Worship is the point. John Piper said this, evangelism, evangelism exists because worship does not. It's to bring all men to worship the lamb. And worship comes from this, just seeing him rightly. So let the, let the lies of the devil be cleared from your mind today and place your trust back in him who's worthy of trust. Can I say one last thing? I got two minutes. The last thing is, I just finished the biography of Jonathan Edwards and Andrew Murray. Great names, 
great lives, men of light and heat. Light, because they can see clearly, and heat, because they feel really. Light and heat. Andrew Murray, Jonathan Edwards. At the end of Andrew Murray's life, he's dying. He's written, I don't know, 250 books on theology. His last breaths are coming. And you see the conclusion of this man of God's life as he's dying in South Africa. His daughter's next to his bed. And he turns to her. He breathes out one last statement, and then he slips into eternity. He says this, God is worthy of trust. You think that's the conclusion of this great man's life. The book of Proverbs says, I've taught you today that your trust would be in the Lord. It's simple. And then lastly, when Jonathan Edwards is dying on his deathbed, he has one last statement that issues out of his mouth before he dies. And it is this, trust in God and you need never fear. Praise God. Bless you guys. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.